welcome. Welcome to Champions for NorCal Kids, a podcast designed to highlight the great champions and work of the youngest members of our community in Northern California. Join us, First Five Shasta Director Wendy Dickens and First Five Tehama Director Heidi Mendenhall as we discuss topics that are focused on children ages zero to five and of course their families. Our goal is to inspire, empower, and cultivate a sense of community filled with hope and connection. Hello, Heidi. How are you doing? I'm so excited to be here. Yes. Hello, Wendy. Good afternoon. I'm ready to talk. Talk, read, sing. <laughs> talk, read, sing. Read, sing. Read and sing. I don't know. Yes, I know. I'm very excited too. I wanted to. Oh, you're braver than I. I can't sing. I can't sing on recorded <laughs> instruments. I don't think that's positive for anyone. <laughs> yeah, people will probably quit listening now. Please don't. I promise I won't sing if you don't like it. If you do, you can ask for requests. I'm not as good as my daughter, but we can we can try. All right. So. Oh, uh, daughter that. Yeah, she does. She's pretty good. I think that having a conversation about talk, read, sing specifically will, you know, enhance people's understanding of what, when we say it in our other podcasts, we're actually intending to mean, you know, everyone has a different kind of inference when they use words, right? So it's nice to define what we're talking about when we say it. And, you know, for those listeners who may not be aware, talk, read, sing is one of the biggest pieces of the First Five California's campaign around getting everyone to understand the importance of talking to your child, reading to your child and singing. So we're going to go into them just a little bit more in depth around what, what that might look like, why it is important, um, which is oftentimes for me personally, the biggest piece of how I become engaged into something is to know the why. Um, and then, you know, give suggestions possibly. Um, and then, you know, go from there. So um, hopefully we'll have some good information for all of you listeners. Well, and it's funny because, you know, as um, a First Five, you know, supporter for many years prior to being um, with First Five, you'd hear talk reading and it was great, great marketability, right? And I think that's kind of the the lift of like, why, why so important to talk about these three things? Like, we could go on for days and days, right? <laughs> and hours and hours. And <laughs> we can share information for, you know, on all of the why, and we will, but the meat of it is that you just do it. Talk, right. read, sing, right? Those actions are the foundation of brain development for an astronomical amount of reasons. And so just sharing those specific strategies, sitting and talking with your child sharing a reading experience with your child and singing in rhythm and sharing your personal songs of your history with your child, these things go and give gifts beyond what we can really truly account for. Well, I think they've been used throughout the tests of time, right? Because even before we had written languages, we had hydroglyphics, right? We had those sorts of ways of communicating in writing. So you had to learn that. Uh, which uses a different part of your brain, but the talking part has always been a way that we have passed information 
from generation to generation, especially when there wasn't really a written language, right? And so we would use pictures, which is a part of reading um, oftentimes too, but, and that's really all letters are, are symbols for, you know, different sounds we make. Right, now. just these squiggly things that mean something to right, us. Right, right, exactly. Um, so I think, you know, it's important for us to recognize that talking is one of the most valuable ways for communication to occur and has been something that's been used throughout time. Um, and then, you know, reading obviously in our world is important in for so many different ways, but you know, your first form of communication is, is talking and learning how to talk to one another and learning what the cues are, um, is learned. It's, you know, I keep saying learning, but it is, it's a learned behavior. It's not something you automatically yeah, know how to do. Like a, a developed understanding of structure in your brain, that there is this conversation that happens, right? That you can provide information and you can receive information. And what do you do when you're listening and receiving? And what do you do and how do you lean, lean in when you're sharing, right? Right, exactly. And babies can already do that. You know, that's when they're cooing and they they stop, they wait for you, you do it. Then, then you know, there's like this back and forth that happens when you're doing this. Um, and it's a dance of language, right? So even before they can really verbalize fully, you can start to mimic what it's going to look like to have a conversation. Now you should be using words. Uh, the worst thing in my opinion is to baby talk or talk like, you know, gaga goo goo. And that always used to drive me nuts when people would do that with my kids, because that's not how we speak. We don't speak like that, right? They might, but that's because they're trying to learn how to form the word and it's important for them to form the word. Uh, now that's different than mother ease, um, which we can get into right. in a minute. Yes. Right. Yes. No, I was going to lean into that as well and describe that idea that the sing-songiness is powerful. The shortening of words and not articulating is not. Exactly. Sing-songing is what we call mother ease and using shorter words uh, because it's more simplistic for them to learn how to formulate first is helpful to them. So that's okay. It's, but not, you know, using language is not helpful to them and not using appropriate terminology when you can is also not always helpful to them because then other people don't use the same thing and it's confusing to them. Um, okay. and you know. So the other, the other piece of this that's so interesting when we are like kind of um, parsing apart those talk reads thing is that often we talk about reading or literacy separate from language, right? But in preschool, we talk about language and literacy because they're so connected. So talking is really quite impossible to separate from getting early reading skills, right? Right. They are I think that's and that's why it's so important we have this conversation, right? Because a lot of people don't connect them the same way we do, because we've been working so long in this early educational field and know so much about child development that that's just our second nature to talk like it's the same thing that you just automatically people know that when you're talking to your child, that's how you're going to really promote literacy and promote, you know, reading skills. And so those don't have a differentiation necessarily in our minds always. And for other people, they do, they don't realize how important it is just talking to your child and using words that they haven't heard before is going to be helpful to them in their reading later in life, in their conversations definitely in their verbal skills definitely but most importantly in their ability to, to start to read and comprehend what they're reading 
and you know, we've, we've mentioned a few times this idea of a word gap, which is really this concept that the number of words that you hear influences your ability to understand a vast majority of vocabulary and thus directly predicts your reading success by third grade. Right. And so it's really um, it's about reading comprehension. So it's not about speed necessarily, but the holistic view of reading, which really means, are you understanding? Are you able to read fluently and understand and then share information about what you read? And when you think about it that way, like, well, of course it makes you know, an impact at what type of vocabulary you have, because if you're understanding more of the words you're reading, you can then better comprehend it. Right. I mean, we've all we've all read the textbook when you realize you've read three paragraphs and have no idea what you read. Right. <laughs> so true. Right. And you have to reread it. And you're like, how we how many more times do I have to reread this? Uh, yeah. So um, I know it's true. And I think, you know, the other piece to this and I know we've mentioned it in prior podcasts, but I, I think it's worth mentioning again is that when we're talking about talking with your child, we're talking about that, doing just that, not having conversations with other adults around your child. They, you do not glean the same kinds of word construction or have the same type of response unless that you're being spoken to directly. So language development, there is some research around there that shows that children who are spoken to more regularly have more words than children who are just spoken around like the adults have conversations around them but don't really speak to them directly yes. uh, it is there yes they're going to get some you know uh, through being around other people and yes they do hear everything you're saying that i'm not saying that <laughs> yeah. part. it's just different how they begin to comprehend and what language develops more quickly a part of that is really they do watch your mouths. And that's been a part of the frustration, I think, for some of the early educators during a pandemic is that they had the masks on all the time. And it's really hard for kids to see your mouths move and know how to formulate words. And I don't know about other people, but I really do a lot of lip reading. I'm not deaf. I don't have um, hearing disability at all. But I do watch people's mouths a lot when they're speaking. You rely on that part of your brain to understand and add information, right? Yes. Actually, this is a good time um, to lean in a little bit to music and song. Mm -hmm. yeah. And yeah. I think there are a lot of us, whether you're an educator, a parent, or community member asking the question, like, what can we do to help in this time where maybe we haven't had the same experience as we thought we were. And, and masking is one example. If you have an 18 month old or a two month old, they have probably had more experiences of hearing words and not seeing a mouth move is the same like that would have happened three years ago. Music can be one of those keys, right? Music lights up our brain in a very different way. And we, if I were singing the alphabet to you versus saying the alphabet to you, even if you can't see my lips moving, our brain's going to be more reactive and more active and engaged in the singing, right? And so exactly. that's something we lean into. Yes, totally. And I think that that is such a great example of how we overcome and or create new ways of shifting the way that we're doing something so that we can make sure that we're providing the opportunities that we need. And music is definitely one of those areas of the brain that is lit up differently, um, or it lights up a different area of your brain. And then uh, it when you have words to the music, that again, lights up more parts of your brain. And knowing that when you have more areas of your brain lit up while you're trying to learn, you learn 
actually better. So, you know, the, the, there is some research also around like listening to Mozart or Beethoven while trying to learn math is actually pretty helpful because it's all about some of the mathematical pieces in an orchestra that you're listening to. In, there's a lots of math to music people don't realize and but I think there's the other two big benefits are like that emotion and rhythm mm -hmm. right so one we the other thing besides music that makes us learn more and amplified and more efficiently is joy when yes. you are joyful when you're learning you actually again just more parts of your brain are, are enacted and you are consuming in, in different ways in different pathways and you remember longer, it encodes differently. And music can bring that joy to right. learning, right? Oh, you can yeah. have so much fun while learning different words and vocabulary. And, um, you know, there's some amazing songs about very scientific level vocabulary, like the thorax and the abdomen of a bug that I will remember forever, even though truly I'm not that interested in bugs, but I had fun while learning the song. <laughs> well, and I think it speaks to the fact that we often will do something like mnemonics or do other types of tricks to keep ourselves remembering. And often it's a little ditty that we've come up with on our own in the moment right to help us remember if there isn't a song that's already available readily or you know but you can I remember taking tests that had to be you know there was I would create a little acronym and then I would sing a song to remember the acronym and I would remember the words based on the acronym because of the song that I had created in my head um so oh. it's not just <laughs> not just more fun to learn it's helping your brain in a different way to remember right. the different things and, and actually like there's also a lot of research around using large motor skills while learning as well right. because it activates a whole different part and and the other piece is that you're firing off when you do music and bring joy through music or use your large motor skills you're firing off endorphins that you wouldn't normally be firing off and those also help build the different neuro connections that you need so i mean it's just music also makes you want to move and dance and then you remember things through that rhythm and you talked about that rhythm which is also very mathematical at times and so when we talk about reading um and you know talking we're you know and singing we're talking about things that are going to begin those pre-math pre-language pre-reading pre-social skills, right? Like all of those are beginning to help a child learn how to transverse this world the way that they need to in order to be successful. Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's just so um, empowering to remember that this conversation that you have with your child while you're putting on their shoes and tying them in and engaging is a pre-reading skill. Right, that is supporting right. pre-reading, and so putting your whole self into that is, you know, a gift that you can give, and then also giving yourself credit for that. Like, wow, I just, you know, I just really supported their brain, and that was really amazing. Um, I kind of want to circle back a little bit to the talking because you were saying, you know, mentioning this idea that, of course, they listen to everything and at the most opportune times repeat. But what we really are looking for is that interaction, right? right. Back and forth. Right. Exactly. That's really what we're looking and, for. And um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's two two different um, terms that I've heard used for that that I think are really um, helpful. And one is strive for five. So this idea that we strive 
for five back and forths, right? So, hey, you just picked up the jump rope. Yeah, <gasps> what are you gonna do with it? Jump, oh, I saw you jumping yesterday. I bet you're gonna jump at least 10 times. Yeah, I am, let's count, right? And so that you've actually gone back and forth now five times, it's actually harder than you think. <laughs> it is, well, and especially when a kid is only answering yes, no, maybe, yeah. <laughs> are repeating just one word to me because you have to come up with all of the sentence which can totally happen when they're only two and so it's really you know and two-year-olds don't have great concentration sometimes so you know it's easily they're very distractible so you you're five times can be you know difficult to achieve it, it very much is so striving for five which first five strive for five you know, know right yeah Perfect. Um, and then also of, of, of late, and it's in a, in a body of research, that same strategy, but it's called serve and return, right? You serve and you return. And I also love that just because for all the sport fanatics out there, I think it speaks to their heart. <laughs> yes. And it's serve and return is even more indicative of also not just the conversation going back and forth, serve and return conversation. It's about serve and return emotion, yes. serve and return attention. So, you know, the research really does talk also about the fact that you need to have engagement on both sides. And so, you know, playing peekaboo, doing those things are all beginning those parts of learning a lot of different things that people don't even realize that help them learn, right? Like, so peekaboo isn't just about object permanency, which, you know, yeah. You can start to tell when a child begins to have object permanency through the peekaboo game, um, but also about that serve and return and also about, you know, it's a game to have fun and bring joy and that you can be playful. And, you know, it's also, I mean, like there's so many things that it actually helps with um, that. And there are many, many games like that, that we know from long, long ago that we don't realize the importance of, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think, so I loved how you said earlier, give yourself credit. I don't think parents often give themselves credit for all they're doing. You know, I think sometimes it is frustrating when that child drops the toy for the 15th time. It's very age appropriate. It's also something they do because it builds a different part of their brain. And they're also looking for your return. They're looking to see how are you going to react? This is the fifth time I've dropped it. What are you going to do? I also need repet repetition for brain development. It's ev something every kid does. Um, and if you don't understand that as a parent, you begin to think they're doing it to just irritate you, to be purposefully, but they don't know that yet. They don't, they are looking to see how you're going to react, but they're not purposefully throwing it uh, to down on the ground to see, to make you angry. That's not their goal. They want to see how you react. Yes. And they want to, and they want to do it because it's a repetitive thing and they need repetition. That's why they like the same books, um, over and over again. Right. Like, and, and they want the same songs over and over again. Um, so I want to kind of circle into maybe the, the reading part, because I know that sometimes parents, feel awkward reading out loud, or even uh, as a preschool teacher, there were some of my peers who were like, oh, story time. I, I love to be with the kids and I like the excitement of it all, but the reading part of it isn't always my favorite. Or there are parents or relatives, care providers that don't know how to read. Um, so 
what kinds of things would you say to somebody who doesn't know how to read when you're, when you're talking to them about reading to their child? Um, well, one, one strategy that we, we kind of phrase, we call picture it, right? So just picture it. So you don't have to know how to, A, there doesn't have to be any words on the page, first of all. So we have tons of wordless books that are fantastic to look at with your children. And that can sometimes take the um, uh, pressure away if you aren't going to be reading the words that, that there just aren't any there, right? And it's fun and to so make a story together, right? Fun to, to you get to make up a, a part of the story for this page. They get to make a put or you make up the whole story or they make up the whole story. It's just great, right? Yeah. I know we love it. And so, and I think naming it like, just picture it. Like everybody can just picture a story. You can just picture something that's happening. And so even if you don't have a book in front of you, um, oral storytelling is really powerful. And then if you do have even just a photograph in front of you or your phone with a photograph on it, tell a story about that photograph, tell a story about that picture, and it can be really powerful. I love that you mentioned tell an oral story, because again, that's something that's been done over the centuries, right? And, you know, our indigenous families that live here, that's how they learned their history for the longest time. There wasn't written word in that way that told the full story, the full picture. And so having an oral story is just fine because you're still telling the story and the parts of the story that are, you know, going to start to help them with thinking skills, the critical thinking skills that you want is that it has a beginning, it has a middle and it has an end. And that's a little different sometimes in conversations, yeah. right? Those conversations flow differently. The story time, whether it's an oral story or a written story that you're reading really is about that beginning, middle, end, and that it has a sequence to it. And sequencing is something you're teaching your child as you're moving through their development in different ways. But, you know, reading or at least oral storytelling is one of those ways. And it's so important that, that we teach them sequencing and that they understand sequencing and then begin to think about what's gonna happen next, that critical thinking skill. We begin to teach them at a very, very early age. And now we have to follow it up with lots of other things, but that is when it, the foundation is beginning to be built. And so we wanna, we do want storytelling and we want to make sure that we're reading to them if we can. And, and again, they can't read. So if you're reading a story and you don't know the words either, they're not going to know you don't know the words till the, till the picture story. Right. So. And they so. will be, I mean, we've all had that, that, that time when you change the word of a story that you had maybe said it right or wrong to begin with, but like they remember it the first way you do it. And that's how you have to do it. So if you're telling the story and not reading the words, that is as important to them and they will remember it that way. Right. And don't try later on, if you do read the story, and then later try and skip words because you're like, I'm tired. This bedtime story has been read 14 times. I want to go to bed. And you try and skip anything, they're going to know. And they'll be like, oh, no, no, no. I thought they said la, la, la. And you're like, dang. Exactly. So only skip the parts that aren't as critical. <laughs> exactly. The other really important strategy to talk about is rhyming. And rhyming can happen when you're talking. It can happen when you're singing. And it can happen when you're reading, right? And um, rhyming is really predictive of, again, um, reading success and reading fluency. And so um, it's something that you can start playing with rhyming and language super early on. I mean, before they're producing language back to you. 
And then by the time they're three and a half, four, they start to be able to kind of do the same thing with you and produce some familiar rhymes. Um, like Anna, you know, what is it? Um, Anna, banana, me, my, fo, fana, Anna. Sure. I can't yeah. think of the beginning of that song now, but yeah. <laughs> no, I can't. <laughs> I know. All those little rhyming songs, right? So, um, yes. and, you know, just letting them rhyme a word, you know, just finding a word. And then you just start rhyming it on. Like, it's just, you know, um, but. And they will be able to do it independently, probably till almost four. But if you do it with them and you're like, oh, that rhymed pumpkin, blumpkin. That was a really bad one to choose. Can you rhyme with pumpkin? What rhymes with pumpkin? Nothing that's really word. Same with orange. Orange <laughs> also, does. Pretend orange. rhymes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they do. So purple lurple. Yeah. They love that. But it's lurple. Is that really a word? Can we look that up in the dictionary? I don't think it's really a word. I have a hard time with certain words that really aren't words and people use them in their regular vocabulary. I really do have a hard time with some of them. That is just a little unknown like, fact that people may want to know about. What words? What words do people use? I have to be sure, careful not to use them now. Irregardless, because irregardless is actually not a word regardless is the word and that is what you're trying to say when you say irregardless it's not irregardless otherwise actually it's like now you're disregarding the opposite you're of regardless, of which means right. yeah <laughs> you're actually negating what you were saying when you said regardless but people use it regularly very educated people will use the word irregardless i'm pretty sure i feel like we've had this conversation before but before we did i'm pretty sure i was the person using irregardless and now no. when i hear it i'm like but with kids you can rhyme whatever you want to rhyme right and it's okay because that's still just teaching them that words can become familiar. They can be fun. And Dr. Seuss made up a tons of words and all his books. I love his books, but some of them, they're very difficult to read if you're trying to read them with any quickness because your tongue will just get tied up, but that's fun too, right? To have the kids try and say it with you afterward. Yes. And yeah. <laughs> that is not. In fact, um, so my daughter, my three and a half year old, oh, she's almost four. She's going to be four in December. She's been really playing with rhyming, but she has, so, you know, we'll say whatever the word is like, dog or and pog and whatnot and she'll like oh that's rhymes but she so she understands that rhyming means that there's something some connection to those two words and some sound related connection but now she's starting to say like dog dad hey that rhymed and i'm like oh it didn't rhyme she's like uh-huh listen to the first part duh duh so she can i you know what i mean she's she's yeah. encoded in her brain that rhyming has to do with these phoneme or phonological sounds, but she doesn't understand quite what it means. And my point to this very sweet story about my almost four-year-old is that it's okay as long as they're playing with sound, right? right? So that rhyming concept is this idea that we're playing with sound and that helps us to put sounds together and take them apart. And that helps us to read. Correct. And that is so good. And, and actually, I think it's pretty advanced that she's realizing that there's different components to words, right? So for her, she's already also learned like, okay, so duh, duh, right? Like 
that part sometimes actually, even though that seems simpler than the rhyming part is actually not always what connects for kids. So that's actually a little bit further down in their advancement in regards to really understanding word formation and how it works and knowing all the D's that work in the D's, right? So um, I think that's pretty cool. I think it's, it's awesome that she's already like, well, listen, that's the same beginning sound. Right. Issues. And it's so fun to observe and notice. And now, and then just like, okay, now we'll watch the journey unfold. <laughs> there is, you know, I think if we, if we really dig into talk, read, sing, you are pretty much learning everything you need to learn about social connection and emotion regulation and all these other amazing concepts can be taught through these three things. And I, I think that we could probably do five more episodes on them. <laughs> we totally could because we could totally break down just like what we were talking about around the beginning sound of a word, you know, like knowing that this, these words have the same beginning sound as opposed to just rhyming. Right. So, yeah. um, or we could just sing songs all the whole time. And I know that that's wouldn't be your favorite, but would, would we no. could whatever you wanted. We could do like, you know, there's like the fun finger games, like five green and speckled frogs. Sitting. I'll play the piano for you and you sing the songs. We'll do that. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> anyway. All right. But we, I totally agree. I think this is one of those topics that obviously we're very passionate about because we know how much it helps with the brain development and formation, which is definitely happening in the first five years of life. And we um, are appreciative of all of those who are listening, who also agree and or now know new things. So uh, please yeah. go and to our website. And all yeah. Yes, uh, go to our website, like, uh, ask questions, let us know what you wanna hear about. Let us know if you're rhyming or singing or even just talking to somebody you care about. <laughs> all right, thank you all. Thank you for joining us today. Remember to check out the links in the podcast or go to our websites, www.first5shasta.org or www.first5tehama.org for any additional information, resources, or needs. You can also directly email either of us, Wendy at W-D-I-C-K-E-N-S at F-I-R-S-T-5 S-H-A-S-T-A dot org or Heidi at H-M-E-N-D-E-N-H-A-L-L at F-I-R-S-T-5-T-E-H-A-M-A dot com. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast and you'll join us again. Remember, it only takes one person in a child's life to make the difference in building resiliency. Will you be that person? <laughs>